You know, we have opened this new year, 2022, with this theme for Encounter Church for the rest of the year saying this, let us be people who are after God's own heart. Let's learn what that means in our everyday life. I know that for each and every one of us, at some point in our journey, and maybe it has happened years ago, maybe it happened last year, maybe it's happening right now, but you're getting this kind of feeling, the sense that the Holy Spirit is inviting you into a certain area of your life where He's saying, in this area of your life, pursue me. Be, what does it mean in that area to be after God's own heart? And may that be your kind of driving theme for the rest of 2022. We're, we're not looking to change everything. We're not looking to make a big faith kind of step. But in that first small step, in that one area, it could be as simple as saying, you know what, I need to be in God's word at least once a week by myself. Or I need to just make sure that I'm going to church every week. It might just be that one small thing. That the Holy Spirit is leading us to just say, pursue me, be after my own heart in that one area. And what we see at the end of the year is a return that the Bible calls 30, 60, 100 fold of what we have put in. And I pray that this year, 2022, may be a year that we experience that as we pursue Him, as we pursue being a people after God's own heart. You know, one of the things that we've already touched upon a couple of weeks ago and Jen touched upon last week as well was David learning how to trust God over his fears. Um, uh, Two weeks ago when I touched on Acts 13, we saw the example of David who stood up to face Goliath. And as he did, Goliath, as we all know, was a formidable enemy. An enemy that we look at by all uh, appearances, David had no business in thinking that he was capable of overthrowing, of overcoming, or even matching up to an enemy like Goliath. By all appearances, this was not a fair fight and David should not even be in that ring. In the same way in our lives, we have certain Goliaths that come against us, that we fight against, and we in our own minds have this mindset of feeling, feeling, by all appearances, we have no business in thinking that we can overcome this one Goliath that is attacking me, that is pushing me down. But because David was after God's own heart, that posture that David had, it allowed him to believe this, that nothing is impossible for God. For me, for David, it might be impossible. And he recognized that. But because he was after God's own heart, his posture and his whole mindset is that, yes, for me, Goliath is impossible. But if God is who he says he is, and if, as David pursued God, his mindset was nothing is impossible for God and I will continue to pursue God's heart. You see, in other words, whereas others would say to David, that's not realistic. David, you shouldn't even consider that. You're being unrealistic with your expectations. David's response to that that mindset was this. Since when 
Is God limited by what I consider to be realistic? Brothers and sisters, I pray that that is something that we have in our own minds and our own hearts that we experience as well. That we realize God is not limited by our view of what's realistic and what's not realistic. You see, I don't know about you, but I find this mindset to be such a deterrent and a paralyzing virus that for any person who is journeying to be after God's own heart, it really blocks us. It prevents us. It, it acts like a barrier. It gives us a certain ceiling in which we experience God in our life. You see, there are so many opportunities where God wants to show us His glory and His power. But we choose to limit it because we predetermine these pathways or the ways that God invites us to be unrealistic. You know, how many of us have been bitten by that, that's unrealistic kind of bug. You know, I have so many times when I felt God's invitation in my life in a certain aspect, I felt that's not realistic and it would paralyze me from experiencing who God really is. I wouldn't even put myself in the arena to have exposure and to give God a chance to show me who He really is because I would Allow that to prevent me to even exploring that possibility. You know, God calls us to remain and to trust in a certain difficult or challenging relationship. And rather than pursuing that because it's God's invitation, we stand there and we look at that relationship or we look at the relational dynamic. We look at where we're at right now and we just say, it's not, it's not going to happen. That's not realistic. Do you know we're already so hurt by each other? Do you know we have so many problems with one another? Do you know what that person did to me? It's unrealistic. How many of us sometimes when we're called to pursue a certain vocation, a certain work, that we say it's not realistic. That's beyond my ability. So we don't even consider applying or going for it or going for a certain major in our life. Because we feel like that's beyond, way beyond my capabilities. How many of us use that term when we're called to be in more intentional time with God? But we look at our daily routines and our spaces and just the heaviness of what we have to go through. And we, and we say to ourselves, it's not realistic. I'm too busy. My life is way too busy to be a little bit more intentional in my time with God. See, I had plenty of times when my first and my ongoing reactions to God as He invites me is that's not realistic because I look at the appearance of things. I look at how things appear. I look at myself and I judge who I am and what I'm capable of. I judge my own values and what I'm trying to pursue. And then I look at what God calls me to or invites me in into, and I feel like, well, that's not realistic according to the way that I am and the way that I'm going. You know, as a very light example, 
And I'm going to invite you guys to go in into your, your first breakout room so that we can uh, prepare our minds and our hearts as we engage in today's passage together in 1 Samuel 16. But as a lighter example, I remember when I first began to pursue God in high school, I'm not a very bright student. Like my, my mindset, the way that I'm created is not like this extremely intelligent, very bright able to quick thing, uh, pick things up very quickly. I'm one of those people that are like more, you know, blue collar. I got to dig in, keep digging in, and then keep studying, and keep working hard, and then eventually maybe I'll get it to a certain level. I'm that kind of person. And I remember like, you know, for me, just to get 80s in high school was so hard. It was so hard. Right, and I at that point in the middle of high school when I began to pursue God, and and I began to go to church a little bit more, I saw an uptick in my in my grade point average, and I went, "Oh my goodness, I'm actually doing better." And I remember that that very next year, um, as I began to really grow my relationship with God, I found that church and spending time with God it would take away from my study space or my study time. And I remember thinking to myself, can I maintain this average that I have if I'm spending this much time with God? Maybe in earlier high school I can do it, but now it really counts. In grade 11, it really matters. And I remember thinking to myself, I remember even my father saying to me, Eddie, you're not smart enough to do all of these things, right? You need to focus on one. And I believed that too because I knew what my capability was. But for that first time, I decided, you know what, this is the space where not only am I going to spend time with God, but when I have my study time, I'm going to work and I'm going to study as hard as I can. And in grade 11 year, what I saw is my grade point average continued to rise despite the fact that I was spending even more time with God. And then by the time I got to grade 12, it rose again. And then in my age and time in Ontario, we had a grade 13. It was called OAC, right? And in the OAC year, I had my highest grade point average in high school. And from that experience of three years, it was always rising, always rising. And the thing, the excuse that I gave to myself was this. If my grade point average ever drops, that's when I know that, you know what? I'm spending way too much time with church, with God, all this. I got to go back to my studies. But it never dropped as I honored God. And I did my best in my studies. God was faithful, whereas people would say, that's not realistic to believe that that's possible with someone like you. And I saw that in myself too. I'm not that kind of bright student that I'm able to do this. But I saw God work past what I thought was realistic. See, in our unrealistic scenarios, we are often persuaded by what things appear to be. In our unrealistic scenarios, they're unrealistic to us because we go by appearances. So these appearances can be like this. We're not smart enough, or we're not strong enough, or we're not social enough, or we're not skilled enough in certain matters. And the list can go on and on. But here's the important point. For God, appearances are overrated. For God, appearances are overrated. It's actually being filled with God's spirit is more important. For God, appearances are overrated, but being filled with his spirit 
is more important. So we should never allow appearances to dissuade us from stepping into the invitation that God gives us. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 through 13 together. I'll be reading from the NIV. You can follow along. It reads this. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer which, um, with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived to Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the uh, consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Samuel then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor the Lord has chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. You see, the context of today's passage was that the people of Israel, they really desired a king to rule over them. So naturally, appearances had a big play in into who they would choose to be their future king. So naturally, uh, when you look at Saul, and we read Saul's description in 1 Samuel 9, 1-2, we see how great his appearances were. In fact, as soon as people looked at him, they just felt like, now that's a king. He looked the part. It says that he came from the tribe of Benjamin. He was handsome and he was a head taller than everyone else. He just had a certain presence about him. You see, this was the same mistake that Samuel was about to make when they appointed Saul as king based on appearances. Even Samuel being a prophet of God, he was susceptible to appearances as well. 
So when he calls Jesse to say, bring all of your sons, the firstborn son, Eliab, when he comes in, Samuel is taken by Eliab's presence, his appearance. And he went, wow. And from that reaction, he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands with Eliab. You see, when in, what we read in 1 Samuel 16, 6 is when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord answers Samuel this way. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, God was showing Samuel the danger of judging things simply based on appearances. See, even if Saul's appearance first gave him an advantage of being a king, because no doubt appearances, they do play a role, but they're not everything. It's overrated. Even though Saul's appearance gave him the advantage of stepping into kingship, it was not enough. His appearances, it was not enough to sustain a healthy kingship. You see, we see the danger of what would have happened if Eliab was anointed king at that moment. Because we see just a chapter later when, the, when David is going to the front lines where Eliab and all of his other brothers are at as they are frightened to face Goliath. We see Eliab's true nature come out when if Eliab was anointed king, he's too scared to fight off Goliath. We see that first fear response in him. Even though Eliab's appearance may have been enough to get him into the running of being anointed king, we see his heart was not in the right place. It feared. It looked at appearances. And in fact, we even see how prejudiced Eliab was because as soon as David comes and is questioning what is going on, I want to find out more of what is happening here, Eliab feels like David has no place in this battlefield. He says, what are you doing here? And he labels David as arrogant and as this little punk that has no business in being in that space. We see the prejudice that is in Eliab's heart. He would not have made a great king. See, what God is emphasizing here to Samuel, he's saying this is why he says in Samuel uh, 16, 6, the important rests with the heart. It's the heart that matters to God. So what does he mean by that? When he says, I like someone's heart, the heart is what really matters in this case. I think part of that is, is really this, is, is our theme, is what does it mean to be a person who is after God's own heart? What it means as we see the story of David unfold, it means making room or giving value and priority to God and being intentional in listening and being obedient to his word. That's what it means. When God says, it's the heart that matters. Don't look at appearances. It's the heart. In that same way, God's not just saying, hey, don't worry about appearances because appearances don't matter to me at all. There's a second step to that. The second step is this, but the heart does matter. So even though our appearance or our, our idea of what's realistic may not limit us, there is a limiting factor. 
And the limiting factor is where is our heart? See, if we're not making room, if we're not giving value and priority to God and being intentional in listening to His Word and being led by His Word, whenever God invites us into new spaces, we cannot be sustained in those spaces. We need to keep pursuing Him so that we may be filled with God's Spirit. That's the importance that God is trying to bring out. Keep pursuing me so that in your given space, you may be filled with God's Spirit. You see, Saul, King Saul, he had this from the very beginning. He had it right, but eventually it turned sour. We see when, when Saul was first anointed, we see this tendency that Saul had to draw closer to God. In 1 Samuel 10.10, it says that, as, as he was anointed, he began to prophesy and he went into the high places with the other prophets and he began to spend and pursue this intimacy devotion with God. And it says that he was filled with God's spirit. We see just a chapter later from that in First Samuel, Samuel chapter eleven six, it says that as this early ranking king being fresh from being anointed, he hears about the city, the city called um, uh, Jabest, that's being, uh, that's being attacked by the Ammonites. And they're threatening to gouge out everyone's one eye in that city. And that city is looking for a savior, is looking for someone to come and save them. And as soon as Saul hears this, look at Saul's response. It's not of fear saying the Ammonites are stronger than us. It says that spirit filled Saul's heart and anger came in into Saul. And with God's justice, despite the strength of the Ammonites, he says, we are going against that people. You see, early in Saul's kingship career, we see the importance, not of his appearance, but being filled with God's Spirit, and how that sustains a healthy kingship. See, God's Spirit is what, what allowed Saul to govern rightly and powerfully. But it's when we see Paul, uh, Saul begin to step away from God's Spirit and turn more towards his own appearance and his own strength and his own resources and what he deems to be realistic. That's where we see him falling away from God. That's where we see his kingship beginning to fail. You see, brothers and sisters, when we take a step towards God's invitation to live with him, the life that we are called to live, it is absolutely fulfilling and incredible. But... It's only sustained by God's Spirit. You see, each one of us, we can live a great, successful life in whatever vocation, whatever thing that we go into. But we all know what creeps in is emptiness and a sense of wanting something more. And we look to try to fill in those gaps. What God does instead is he doesn't discount those appearances or our strengths. He says, those are the good things that you have, but 
what we're all seeking is that filling of that emptiness. And that emptiness can only be filled with God's Spirit. So this is why God invites us into aspects of our life and invites us there so that we can live in that space by God's Spirit. Because we know we can't sustain it by our own strength. It requires God's Spirit for us to sustain that call, that living. And as we seek God's Spirit to fill us, it fills that void. It fills that emptiness and it brings about this joy and this credible experience of experiencing His presence and meaning in our life. So this is true at whatever stage of the Christian life that we are on. Look at the end of today's passage. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, it says this, From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. You see, right from the beginning, right from David's entrance into just being anointed, he wasn't king yet. He was just anointed. From that point, the Bible shows the importance of being filled with God's Spirit. You probably don't know his age at this time because the reason why Jesse didn't even think about calling David in is that Jesse defines, and the word that is used for David in this passage is he was still a boy. In fact, he didn't reach puberty yet, right? And so the estimated age of David at that time was 10 to 15 years, but most people think it was under 13, right? So imagine that. This is why Jesse, his father, would not even consider David. He's still a boy. He's only like 10 or 13 years old, right? Why would we, by all appearances, think that he's the future king, right? He's nowhere near ready. He's just a boy. Yet here, at that tender age, of 10 to 13, it says, from that day, David was filled by God's Spirit. You see, brothers and sisters, when we look at our own lives, it's the same thing as we walk in into the Christian life. When we first accepted Jesus Christ and we begin to journey as a Christian, just as David was first anointed at that time as a young boy, not really knowing what's going on and what everything is about, from that moment, We need God's Spirit. At every stage of our Christian life, we need God's Spirit. It's God's Spirit that occupies that space and prepares us and leads us and grooms us to start making decisions in that space to prepare us for the next stage. You see, in 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel Uh, 16, we see the first anointing. And in the very next chapter, in verse 17, we see the Goliath battle. But it wasn't the next day they fight Goliath. In fact, the years that passed between the time that David was anointed at that time to the Goliath passage, most scholars estimate to be around five years. Because, and the way that they find that is that when Saul talks with David as he's putting on the armor, he says to Saul, and he, he says to David, and he uses the term, but you are only an adolescent. So now we've seen David grow from a boy to an adolescent. So, so that means his years are between 15 and 20. But for sure, he's under 20 at that stage. 
So the rough estimate is about five years space between when he was first anointed to this Goliath battle. Now, when we look at the Goliath battle, remember the term that David uses to tell Saul why he's ready. He says, but you are only an adolescent. What can you do? He's looking at his appearance. But remember, from that day forward, when when he was anointed, it said he was filled with God's Spirit. And being filled with God's Spirit, what we have to assume is that David's answer to Saul comes from his faithfulness of being filled with God's Spirit as a shepherd. And he says, when he says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. In those five years of preparation, in those five years, in the early hood of his anointing, David was just faithful at his tasks. He was learning to take care of sheep, even at the tender age between we'll say 12 years old and 15 years old, he would still pursue lions and bears because he was being filled with God's Spirit. He wouldn't allow fear to detract him. And this time of preparation is what prepares him to be able to face now Goliath when this opportunity arose. See, brothers and sisters, most of us, we live the Christian life as soon as we meet Christ and we say, oh, that was really simple. I accept Jesus Christ into my life as my personal Savior and Lord. I I admit that I am a sinner and I need Jesus and his blood that was shed on the cross for my sin. And I recognize that. Jesus, I accept you into my heart. That's not being filled with God's Spirit. Being filled with God's Spirit happens now, as we are anointed there, we are trying to become more aware of how God is leading us according to His values and His ways. Not my ways or my realism or what I think is realistic for me. But this is the tendency that we all have in living the Christian life, is we accept Jesus and then we create our compartment. Now religion is part of my compartment. Right? And I do that. But it doesn't do anything to change how we live in any other aspect of our life. That's not living by God's Spirit. See, each and every one of us, I guarantee you, you have all heard God speak very clearly in your life. Whatever stage of faith that you are at. And if you take a moment to examine what God has spoken into your life, you will probably identify key moments where your heart felt tugged towards a certain obedience that would require you to be filled by His Spirit to do it. But because we were functioning by appearances, what's realistic at that stage for my life, we just simply dismissed it. And we just said, that doesn't make any sense. We didn't even give it an afterthought because we just completely just say, yeah, of course not. That doesn't make any sense. And we just move on. And we don't even recognize how we prevent ourselves from being filled with God's Spirit and experiencing Him. You see, if we don't do that stage, and if David didn't do that stage and he wasn't filled by God's Spirit to pursue bears and lions at that stage, saying, it's not realistic. I'm only a boy. 
right? How am I supposed to fend them off with just a staff? It doesn't make any sense. If he remained there, by the time that Goliath situation came, David would not respond with courage that he did. He's used to a complacent faith. Brothers and sisters, that's the same with us. Is we can get so used to a complacent faith. And that's why we're so convinced that God doesn't make a difference in our life. That being a Christian doesn't change anything. It's because we never gave ourselves the opportunity to be filled with God's Spirit in the various stages of faith that we live in. See, the fact is this. 15 years passed from the time that David was anointed, king, uh, was anointed to the time that he became king of Israel. It took 15 years of faithfully being filled with God's Spirit and finally living in and to the position that God had prepared for David. Because all through that years of 15 years, David's heart was being prepared be after God's own heart in the smaller things that he was called to be faithful with. You see, when we allow God to do that in our life, and we begin at this stage, whether we are a new Christian, whether we are a mature Christian that's been living this our whole life, we need to ask ourselves, are we allowing God to invite us into deeper experiences with him because we trust in his spirit's call and being filled by it rather than what we think is realistic for us to do. You know, I think the reason why this is so difficult and this journey is so difficult for us is we continue to be influenced by appearances. You see, the problem we have of, you know, judging others, you know, we all judge others by appearances, is that we do that to ourselves too. Right? Just as we judge others, we judge ourselves. And as we judge ourselves, we also judge what's possible in my relationship with God. And we just say, well, I'm not like that person. So obviously my relationship with God isn't going to be that deep. We have this prejudice. And we carry that assumption. And as we do carry that assumption into our relationship with God, we slowly push God out of the center and we put our realism as our idol. So our faith is not true faith. Our faith is lived on my terms. See, most of us, the thought of involving God when things matter the most, it really isn't something that we're attracted to. It's something that actually detracts us. When finances are low, how do we really trust God in those moments? Because the automatic stance that we take is, of course, I need to find a different job. Of course, I don't have time to go to church on Sundays because i got to work extra. Of course, I can't give offering or tithe or, or trust my finances and because my finances are in such a disarray. We look at relationships in that same way. Of course, I'm not in the right place to be able to spend more time with God because all of these relationships around me, I need to fix. And it's so awkward for me to, to get into um, uh, deepening my relationship with God when this relationship feels like it's dragging me down. No, we look to our own realism. 
and we feel like I need to take care of these things before I can give attention to God. You know, in those times when we're so desperate and we look at God and we feel like God has no realistic answers for what I'm going through, if you've ever tried in desperation to, bow your, to bend your knee and to pray to God, I'm sure if you're like me, you've experienced the same kind of feeling where you feel like I'm so desperate for God and you pray and as you're praying, all you hear is deathly silence. You don't hear God at all. It convinces us more that, where is God? Does he even care? Like, what's the whole point of doing it? See, this is why I can't waste my time doing this. I can't waste my time in God's word. I can't waste my time prayer because all I get is silence. God's irrelevant. If this is going to be fixed, I have to fix it to my, for myself. You know, it sounds very similar to what Isaiah 53 it tells us, and because of these experiences, look what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Like, isn't that true? That when we look at our relationship with God, we, we kind of hold them in low esteem compared to the real issues that we're dealing with. You know, there's nothing about God. There's nothing about pursuing God in his word or pursuing God in prayer that attracts us to him. There's nothing that's majestic about it. There's nothing that feels like, wow, this is going to really attract me. And, and this is what Isaiah was writing to the people. There was nothing in his appearance that made people desire and say, I want to draw closer to him. And this is why people hide their faces from God. This is why we don't pursue him. And this is why we hold him in low esteem, especially when things matter. But look at what Isaiah says in 53.6. We have all like sheep have gone astray, each one of us to our own ways. This is why. We walk away. This is why we set our own values. This is why we determine what's realistic for my life. Is because we look at Jesus and we feel like he's not the answer. But there is good news in this. Despite our tendencies to live by our reality, this is what's going on in the background that Isaiah says. In Isaiah 53, 4, he says, But surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. You know what that means? <laughs> no, even though we reject God, and even though we're so determined, and we might be doing an adequate means of taking care of our finances, taking care of our relationship, taking care of all of these other fires that are part of our life, we may be really adequate in that. But what makes that adequacy possible is Jesus said or Isaiah says but surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering Eve so what's going on is this even though we reject him and we're and like sheep we're gone astray and we're doing our own thing saying but in the background God is still working so that 
our adequate responses or our adequate efforts are still made possible. See, one of the amazing things about God's grace is sometimes we forget that our life and everything that we do, it's all grace. Our health, it's his grace. It's sustained by it. Our finances and our workplaces and what's going on there, it's sustained by it. We may think that it's all our effort and it's our own doing, but God says, no, I'm still at work. And I'm not this kind of like, like this like nitpicky God that says, fine, you won't follow me? Bang, disaster on your life. He still works. And we see that in 40 years, that as people journey through the desert with God, and they're complaining about this, complaining about that, what they don't recognize in that whole time is God's working in the background, and never once in 40 years did their clothes ever wear out, did their sandals ever wear out. It lasted for 40 years. They don't see how God is sustaining them. See, brothers and sisters, this is the same work in our life. The reason why we have breath today and the reason why we can still listen today and still choose today, despite how much we feel that God had no part in our life, He had everything to do with it. He has been, he has been sustaining us. But surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He's been with us on our journey. Protecting us. Watching over us. As much as we feel like we've been doing it ourselves. See, Jesus won't quit on us. He still works in your life. You know, I had so much difficulty when I was at this mega church in Korea serving there. There's a certain hierarchy there that I did not understand. And there's these few departments that I was trying to get access to, but I guess I was doing it th things wrong and doing it my, uh, in a certain way that was offending them. I just didn't understand how culture worked in, in Korea at that time. And every time I try to ask for equipment or ask for things, they would always shut the door. They always say, no, you can't do it. And they give me a hard time, throw all this red tape. And I never wanted to snitch or complain to my upper boss and the senior, um, um, the senior pastor at that time. I just kept it myself because for sure I wanted to show I can do this by myself. I don't need their help and I don't need to snitch. Right? So I'm going to deal with it. So for a whole year, I was struggling, struggling, never getting the supplies, having to figure out other ways to do uh, certain things. And I kept going, 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 always getting rejected. And then finally, I was able to break through. And one time when I called them and I went to them, I really need this because I need to set this up for uh, this ministry here and uh, we don't have any other things. And I was so shocked. They said, you know what? Okay, we'll lend it to you. We'll give it to you. And they gave it to me and I felt this awesome source sense of pride like I did it I overcame right all through my strength it was awesome you know I was persistent I never gave up and I set everything up and I was so happy and part of that ministry the senior pastor was involved in as well and so everything was set up and I'm just glowing because I feel like I did I accomplished something and I tackled it because of my persistence and later on, I met the executive pastor who serves under the, the senior pastor. And he just said, Eddie, you had a tough year, didn't you? 
like trying to always ask for things and them always shutting the door and all this kind of things on you and giving you such a hard time. And I think, yeah, yeah, but, and I told him my story, but I overcame and I got this done. And then he laughed, right? He goes, yeah, well done, Eddie. You did a great job. And then he told me the secret. He said, word of your issues got to the senior pastor. And the senior pastor (laughs) made a phone call to that department and he said to them, Do not block Eddie from having access to anything in our church. That's all he required. From that moment on, everything was provided. And this whole time, I thought it was me. This whole time, I thought it was my persistence, my... In the same way in our life, brothers and sisters, it can feel like that, that, yeah, out of my sweat, out of my effort, I was able to get to this position, able to get to this career, able to get into this kind of success in my life. The story behind that that we don't recognize is, but surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. God's working in our background. And we don't see the kind of grace that he provides to make our efforts possible. How much more Beautiful, wonderful, powerful could that be? When we learn how to become a people that's after God's own heart, we stop judging things based on appearances, and we learn how to be filled with God's Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I pray that in 2022, we discover just a taste of that. That as you sense God's Spirit invite you, beckon you in a certain area of your life, no matter how small it may be. Accept that invitation. Accept that challenge. And be filled by His Spirit. Do it His way, not your way. Depend on Him. Trust in Him, despite all appearances. And may you discover, too, that whatever appearances that are in our life that seem unrealistic, It's overrated. We just need to be filled by God's spirit and to trust him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for blessing us with this time that we have together to be reminded of your work in our our lives. Be reminded, Father, Lord, how much you love us. Be reminded, Father, Lord, that you want the best life for us. You're not trying to keep us from a great life. You're trying to keep us from just living a good life. You want us to have an extraordinary one. I pray, Father, Lord, that we'll pursue you. That we would hear, even in the small things, what you're leading us to. And as we step into that, may you anoint each and every one of these precious children of yours. So brothers and sisters, before we end, I want to just invite you, just take one minute right now to say a quiet prayer to God, to listen for his voice. And if you don't hear anything yet, it's okay. But simply say this to him, God, will you anoint me by your spirit that I may sue your heart? Let's pray this together in one minute of silence. So Father Lord, 
we pray that as 2022 begins and as we step in into this year, may you anoint each and every one of us. May you fill us, Lord, powerfully more and more with your spirit as we pursue you. Thank you, Father. We commit all these things to you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.